Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Uh, Roxanne Durhage of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, again this week. I have a favorite person of mine on the line. Um, Sarah is uh, located here in uh, the Niagara region as well. Me, I've been doing a fair amount of work with Sarah over the years, and she's been on my podcast before, but we were having conversation about what would be the kind of the spot right now that would be relevant for us to have a conversation around and uh, I am, you know, writing a book on authentic leadership. And the one area that I seem to be coming up against is how is it that leaders stay connected to themselves? And one of the most important things that happens when leaders stay connected to themselves is that in fact, what they do is they recognize others because they look outside of themselves. And that's, that's Sarah's, you know, playhouse. So we thought that that would be an opportunity to chat uh, about things again. So Sarah, thanks so much for coming on again. Thank you for having me, Roxanne. I, I love what you're doing in the world and what you're all about because, you know, really authenticity and, and being able to be with people anytime, particularly right now when people are in crisis or when they're confused or they're just not sure of the future, leaning into authenticity in ourselves and in those relationships, we're able to, you know, make better choices and, and perhaps even be better able to manage sometimes the fact that we don't have many choices or we can't make many choices. So it's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. So let's, let's talk about, you know, I often think, right, with my background and um, in psychotherapy and people think it's okay to be warm and fuzzy when you mm. see someone in, in that realm. But really, I think what's mm. happening now, when I think about when I started in consulting like 20 years ago, Sarah, uh, the concept was you leave the personal version of who you mm. are at that, you know, corporate front door, you drop off the, the you know, the personal Sarah, Yes. And then you enter that corporate environment or that that work environment and then you become let's say working Sarah. Yes. You do your thing and then you come back at the door, you pick it up again and then you go off and you be, you know, mom and 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 wife and and yeah. you know, citizen. And we mm-hmm. realize we realize that that's in fact uh, such an archaic concept. Mm-hmm like our roles are mutually exclusive of each other and our skills and our talents can be compartmentalized like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No wonder we've been talking about work-life balance for so long and have no answers because it's, it's almost um, an unrealistic view of, of the reality. It's human beings can't be compartmentalized that way. Um, and when we over compartmentalize, and I'm sure you see this in your practice, when we overly compartmentalize and we define our identity through our roles and those external markers, as you were just referring to, that's when we often minimize the greatness in ourselves and others. And we fail to see it and acknowledge it, particularly in times like this, where our identity and the yardstick of what success and resiliency and coping looks like, it can be different 
not only one day to the next, but one minute to the next. So I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation about how things are evolving. And I would guess in your practice, you're seeing how we still have farther to evolve and lean into this notion of work, Sarah, you know, home, Sarah, fitnessy Sarah. I don't know. What would be all the Sarahs? Definitely probably not fitness. <laughs> funny, Sarah funny, fun, funny Sarah. <laughs> funny Sarah. Yeah, exactly. All the, all the labels really. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about is, is um, trying on all the labels as if we can't be all of those, those things in, in different proportions and how that's really a healthy thing. We get our best from people. And, you know, truly, like I, I know um, from doing trainings myself, but I know recently you've been doing a lot more live trainings again, mm. that, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when you kind of get out there again, it feels odd because we're mm. so accustomed to being in front of people, but now you're in front of people again. What are some of the pressures that you've been seeing people struggle with now that you've kind of been out there and, and speaking mm. more about um, mental, like I would say mental well-being and yeah. also um, recognition. Like mm-hmm. what, what are people really in needing? I, I think it's almost like we peel down things and, and we're really kind of being raw about what's yeah. needed to feel okay. Yeah. Well, certainly the essential services organizations that have realized that we cannot put off this appreciation event or this, this celebration event that is often the reason why I'm brought in to work with essential service. Now I work with all kinds of folks, corporate leaders and help them redefine their people plan and more, you know, women's events and inspirational um, sorts of pieces as well. But what I'm doing right now physically with people, granted, all of them are masked, physically distanced. You know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. However, we're jumping, we're all jumping through the hoops to make it work because people are raw. Because individuals who are so passionate, who are doing the best they possibly can, and frankly, probably don't see themselves as doing the best they can, even when we're not in the middle of a, of a global health crisis, and, and working flat out, it's about an opportunity to just ground ourselves and what really matters. And so recognition, being able to appreciate ourselves first and being able to see the greatness all around us and take a moment to take stock and why aren't things worse? How have we been able to draw on reserves that we never knew that we had? What do we need to bring forward to be able to keep going on this marathon anyone who's ever done a marathon knows it's the point where you feel so much pain, you hit a wall. That's the defining moment as to if you're going to finish the marathon or not. And you can train for it and you can get into the mental game for it. But when you hit that wall, you have, you have a couple of choices. Do I push through the pain and on the other side of it, you can finish. Or do you say, I, that's it, I'm done. And, and what's I think really cool and where I don't think we use that metaphor of, of, um, the marathon in a really healthy way outside of COVID is that there, when we hit the wall and maybe we decide we can't go any further, usually that's a, that's a referred to in a negative way. It's mm-hmm. that we, we, you know, failed. We need to try again. Um, we weren't prepared. We weren't mentally in the game. What I think we you and I are both seeing in our practice. And I certainly I'm seeing this when I meet with people both live in, in, in the room with me and also in the virtual speaking that, that I'm doing is that people see there's another alternative. Maybe it's that I'm doing the best I can and that's good enough. 
Perhaps it wasn't meant for me to finish the marathon. Perhaps like just getting this far was amazing. And, and this is the shift that has been happening. There's two big shifts that are happening in, when it comes to the recognition world. One is that people are realizing that we're doing the best we can, I'm doing the best I can, and I need to be okay with that. And it's a wonderful place of self-compassion and other compassion that we can really um, honor and lean into. I'm not saying everybody's cracked that formula. I think it's a discipline to be able to keep reminding ourselves of that. Um, so there, so that's, that's the component. Um, the other piece is that we are in a global recognition movement. What happened in the spring with whether you're in Spain or Italy and banging cups for healthcare workers at 8.30 at night um, to putting signs on lawns, thanking essential services workers to doing mass donation campaigns of masks and hand sanitizer when our frontline providers didn't have enough. That was a time where people really rallied around the globe. It was the first time ever as a recognition expert, I didn't have to try to convince people mm -hmm. that appreciating others was important. And I just hope that we all keep that momentum going right now, as well as of course, at long after all of this is over. So that's what I'm finding. It's those, those two key things is one is people are realizing we're doing their best or can, and maybe actually the best we could was the best we can has always been good enough. And that we finally see how essential it is to recognize the value within ourselves and others and not make it quite so freaking conditional all the damn time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, in my capacity, when uh, in, in corporate consulting, one of my, my uh, roles was to respond to traumatic events in mm -hmm. companies across Canada. So I'll give that example, right? So something traumatic happens within, within 24 hours, we're on scene. So I just, you know, would deploy a team, they would get in there and they would normalize yes. the basics, yes. right? Psychologically, emotionally, biologically, this is what you're going to go through. Mm -hmm. And then within 72 hours, what would happen, it would be called a debriefing. What we would then do is get the core players that were, say, first kind of or closely involved with events to really kind of go through the facts of the events. That being said, if you think about it, um, Environments are kinder and gentler generally when there's a crisis, right? We stop, we think there's maybe been a death, there's been downsizing. We stop and we really reflect because that becomes a reflective lens of, my goodness, that, that could have been me, right? Mm -hmm. But with COVID, where everyone's in that space, and I think you're so right, we're getting to a level of connection um, that we need to stay connected through because of this adversity, because it's really showed us um, while we are, you know, it's pretty impressive what mm -hmm. people have done, like you've said in the recognition world, mm -hmm. but also in the leadership world, what I've seen is that people really dig deep mm -hmm. to connect to their, to people around them. Yeah. You know, there's only been one, um, keynote that I've done a virtual keynote that I've done lately where all the questions were revolved around how do I fix people? How do I fix the complainers? How do I fix the, mm. the um, lack of accountability? What's wrong with people? You know, there's this sort of ongoing, I, I, every time I tried to answer that question with just another nugget or a nuance, the questions keep coming back. And I really, I really felt for those leaders that they were in such a place of deficit. And no matter how much focus on recognition and, 
and giving giving people the space and the compassion to you know to really um understand that this is this is the time for you to really rise as a leader this is the time for you to not to lack, not to have lack of accountability have to 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 have honest compassionate authentic um accountability and mm-hmm. to perhaps renegotiate where the goalposts are in fact a lot of people in the world in the working world don't even know where the goalposts are <laughs> so we certainly don't know where they are in the covid world or when we're remote working the issue is not lack of accountability because people are working remotely usually the problem is because people did not know what their core job was what you know what was most important versus mm-hmm. other other priorities we're working against so many competing priorities. We're constantly trying to juggle those and figure those out on the fly, um, navigate those challenging relationships when what I think is important is different from what you think is important. So it's lowered the waterline on a lot of issues that we had before. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as I say, apart from that one group where I, I look at them with such huge compassion and sympathy because I can only imagine how hard it must be for a collective of five, 600 people to collectively be feeling like we have so many people who are underperforming, like what must that be like as an organization? The other folks that I'm speaking with and I'm seeing are really leaning into this opportunity to have more authentic conversations, Mm -hmm. whether it be in team meetings, one-on-one conversations. One of my clients, she did this cool thing where instead of having the quarterly check-in over Zoom, they all got masks and they invited any family members who wanted to come and they went apple picking together. Wow. And they had just touch bases because that's what a quarterly check-in is. Performance review check-in is how's it going? Are you on track with your goals? What do you think? What's important to you this year? What's worked well? What's not worked well? Are you, do you feel like you're on track? What else do you need from me? You can do that picking apples. You can <laughs> do that picking up. So why have we been doing it sitting in a room with our, our you know, pants too tight because they were too tight before we all started eating carbs at the beginning of COVID, <laughs> let's face it. You know, why, do, why don't we? So we're getting more creative. Yeah. We're getting more curious mm-hmm. and we're able to maybe to your point with the debriefing, there had to be a level of compassion because we were staring down this painful situation. And we knew if we don't deal with it now, we're going to be dealing with it for weeks, months, years to come. And like you, I've worked with teams where there's been unresolved stuff that has mm-hmm. just, I mean, it, I've done historical scans with teams where we had to go back 35 years to the most tenured person in the room to, you know, that's a yes. long time to carry baggage. Like that's a, somebody who's got a lot of baggage to check. Um, but it's because it wasn't dealt with. It wasn't processed mm. and it's been hanging around and we have to be sympathetic to those folks. Now's maybe the time to, to open up the suitcase and pull it out. Sorry if this is sounding very psychobabble to folks. And I'm, I'm not meaning it to be because really there's a very brave leadership component to all of this. To be willing to say, I'm worried about what's going on here. Are you okay? That takes huge vulnerability because probably one of the things leaders are going to hear is actually there's something that's not working. And it may be something to do with you or at least something you're responsible for. So good on all those leaders who definitely care enough about, you know, respectful workplaces and accountability and and so forth. And about the human beings 
who aren't just human doers, they're human beings. Carl Rogers said that, right? We're not, we're not human doers, we're human beings. You know, that's a good point, Sarah. You know, it's wonderful to have the leaders that are aware and that's in, in my kind of training and coaching that I'm doing. And then the new book that I've just written is all about that. Cause really, if you think about, uh, you know, leaders or people that are in that management role, they get, they're pretty kind of, you know, focused and they get a lot done, but they are also the ones that get sick and, and, and are unrecognized as they get unwell, be it psychologically, emotionally, and, and, you know, the body's the last generally to kind of give out and, and they would show up in kind of the training analysis around short term and long term. Mm -hmm. However, they can put up with a lot more things before kind of that vein kind of breaks. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you suggest for the ones that are not seeing the things that some of you know you talked about some of these leaders being so aware some of the other leaders that are complaining like how do i how do i you know um get more out of them or how do i cut off the complainers what kind Mm -hmm. of suggestions would you have for leaders like that um Mm -hmm. yeah my my suggestion is the same suggestion that i make outside of covid time a complaint is a poorly worded request your biggest complainers are telling you they need something and they are not getting it. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody saying, every time we start a new project, we don't have the tools we need. Maybe they could be your resource to say, okay, great. What do we need when when we look at the successful projects? What has been in place? We could ask a question and be curious rather than be defensive about it. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, you know, we play favorites around here. You could say, okay, well, help me understand Um, when favoritism has shown up and they may be thinking about a very specific time and they also could be pointing out some things that we're not seeing as leaders. So assume again, believing people are doing the best they can assume that people would, would give a more uh, possibility oriented solution oriented perspective if they were resourceful enough and had the words and language and ideas to provide it that way. But in that moment, They don't. And we can ask questions as leaders that can help them get clear on it, leverage a strength, an experience, a gift. They see things, leaders, hear me when I say this, your staff see things you're not seeing. And that's not because you're not paying attention. It's not because you're a bad leader. It's not because you don't care. It's that you cannot be everywhere. You can't be everything to everybody. Um, some people don't tell you things because they care more about keeping their job than telling you something that's not popular or that, you know, maybe in the past, if they said it before, they got in trouble. Um, so remember that people carry that, that, that workplace trauma of, of maybe having had bosses who weren't as enlightened as you. So just realize that one of your greatest tools in your toolkit, in addition to, of course, specifically going out and recognizing people through, through specific acknowledgments, saying thank you, building in affirmation and acknowledgement at the front end of your meetings, one-on-one or in team. Also remember, it's that every time somebody fails to meet a, meet a performance objective, um, complains to you, is incivil to a colleague, it is an opportunity to wonder, what am I missing? And, and I'm not missing it because I'm a bad leader. I'm missing it because it's normal. It's human. And, and I don't want to miss it. 
So what do I need to ask and find out about? And this is where the, my book flip side of failing comes in because it's the, it's, it's being able to see things that don't work mm-hmm. as an opportunity to flip it, right? we we fail, we learn, it can ignite something and then we can praise. So it's just messy in the middle of all of that stuff. However, you know, if I, if I take this complainer and this negativity and I sit there with them in that negative space, you're a problem, you need to be, you know, performance managed, you don't belong in this department. I could also see maybe there's, there's some, some disconnect here. This is not, by the way, as a side note, this is not a call to all leaders to not hold people accountable. It's actually the opposite. When you lean in and you ask people what solutions they have, what ideas they have, um, what would be different if that problem didn't exist? Oh, what, what would it look like? That's actually holding people more accountable because you're not letting them off the hook by just being negative and just writing them off as ineffective or, you know, they're never going to change. You, you are actually being more accountable by being curious about the negativity and what suggestions they would have. And being collaborative as well, right? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes when you, you know, talk about those quarterly performance evaluation times, it's, it's, it's one wage sometimes. Yes. And when you invite collaboration and you say, how can I help you? Like, these are the things mm-hmm. that we're seeing. What, what, what skills do you think you need help with? What do you need different from me um, as your leader? Right. And what do I, I, what things do I, I do well? Okay. That's fine. We can park those, but I'm more interested in, in this area. What could you pivot? What could I pivot based on what your needs are to make it more specific? That way there's buy-in on both ends versus it being the one way kind of street. And then to your point, then accountability comes at the end of that, because I sat across from you, mm-hmm. we had this chat, we uncovered every little pebble and rock. And we, we talked about a solution. And then if there's not follow through at that point, there's a, there's yes. an accountability factor there. And I, you know, it makes me think about one of the supposed lowest performers that um, was through a redeployment. She was going to be joining my team. I had a vacancy on the team and, and this, the other team had a surplus. And so I, they, the leader got a chance to decide who was going to be redeployed to my team. And so she, perhaps so not surprisingly, she picked the person that was apparently the quote poor performer. And in fact, she, she felt this person was such a poor performer that had advocated right to the CEO to fire this person. And I worked for a very compassionate CEO who believed that everybody deserved every possible opportunity until we absolutely were 100% sure beyond a reasonable doubt, it wasn't us. It wasn't a lack of process, lack of clarity and so forth. So um, reassigning her to somebody new was a good opportunity to test that. If, if she brought her problematic behavior and attitude with her, and, and I'm the one who does the mediations and the coaching and all of that in the organization, then probably you're right. This person needs to go. And I was given three months. I was told, you don't even have to provide an explanation. We will, we will sever, to, sever her off if you, know, if you also are finding the same things. So we had a meeting. I can remember it like it was yesterday in HR. This was eight years ago. And um, the human resources professional and um, the, the outgoing leader and I sat down and I was told under no uncertain terms that this was not going to work. And um, good luck to me. And my, the person handing her off to me was very, like, she was nice. It wasn't that she was being malicious. She just really did not have any belief that this was going to work. 
And so um, she left, the staff member came in and I said, I'm really looking forward to working with you. Um, I've seen lots of great examples of you shining and now your ability to shine is going to look a little different. Mm -hmm. And you may also be wondering, am I actually going to be able to shine? You've not asked to be reassigned to my department. There's a big learning curve ahead of you. Um, what I'm going to commit to, I will, I'm willing to meet with you up to once a week. Um, I'm, you're going to go through a, a development plan and I will give you access to everything I can afford and that we can make happen. We'll get creative if we can't afford it. And you'll also be assigned. This is non-negotiable. You're going to be assigned to a mentor in the department, my highest performing senior organizational development practitioner to mentor you. And you need to work with her every week for a minimum of six weeks or six months, unless one or one of you is on holiday. Otherwise you guys need to figure it out. Make sure you meet. But beyond that, you tell me what you need. You're very educated. You're very skilled. You've got a lot of transferable skills. Here's the template. Tell me what you need from me. We're going to meet on Monday. So this was like a Thursday. We're going to meet on Monday. She came back to me before the end of the day. Um, I've got some uh, questions. I was thinking I probably need to learn in these areas. Do you have some books? Absolutely. Do I have books, Roxanne? <laughs> oh yeah. Do I ever have books? Yes. No problem. So she, and she was very specific about what she wanted to learn about and read. I gave her some books. She came back to me the next day. I've already read these books. Do you have anything else about this? I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, that's, this, she's a faster reader than I am. She's got young kids at home, just like I did. This is how passionate she is. Well, by the time we meet on Monday morning, she's also read those books over the weekend. She has um, created the most robust development plan I had ever seen up to that point in my career. And she was so enthusiastic. The person who came into the office in HR was a completely different person than the individual that I saw coming into my office with the completed mm -hmm. development plan. Mm -hmm. She said, I've never been so excited to go on a learning journey since maybe my master's degree. She ended up being one of my best performers that has ever worked for me. And now she is the global head of organizational development for a multinational HR or sorry, um, uh, healthcare organization. She is still in this field, the one that she didn't even pick. So I share with you that story because there, it's, it's all about how you choose to see people. Do you choose to see people that there's greatness that's hiding underneath layers of expectations and judgments and disbelief and roadblocks and system barriers and I don't know what else might be the roadblocks to people's greatness, Roxanne, that hasn't been included in that list. What else have you seen? <laughs> well, uh, just, or just that uh, maybe that person may have had difficulties and you're not looking at pot potentially what are some blocks that could have been um, existing with the, the lack of appropriate resource to help them along. Yeah. Yes. You know? And I, you know, and it's funny because the, my experience initially and, pro and I will, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost afraid to admit as a recognition expert that for years, my story in my head afterwards was that leader that, that she left um, and for her to come to me was a quote, poor leader. I mean, and I don't think I wrote her off completely. I know I didn't write her off completely, but I thought maybe she is, a, she's not a very effective people leader. And I, I've gotten to this point, you know, it's years later. However, I realized that that leader was doing the best she could too. 
I just, I had different experiences and skill sets and belief systems. And it was easier for me to do the best I could for her. And maybe I wouldn't have done the best I could for somebody else in, in her department that she did a really good job of leading. So I, I think this is a time where we can all agree that we're having to stretch beyond our comfort zone in how we have to lead people. And, and if that means that we have to stretch outside of our comfort zone, then that means we need to stretch and help and ask for help. A lot of us leaders don't believe that it's okay to ask for help. It's a, not just a sign of weakness, but also that we're the ones expected to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. In fact, we may be told and reinforced directly or subliminally through, through, you know, um, traditions and, and, you know, uh, unspoken rules and norms and so forth that in fact, we are supposed to have all the answers. We are supposed to fix everything and be the cleanup crew. Um, what if we just said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we've all worked for somebody. I know I've worked. Some of my favorite bosses are ones that say, well, I don't know how to solve that. I don't mm -hmm. know what it's going, what it must be like for that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what we could do about this because I'm completely confused. I, it makes no sense that we're having this problem still, despite everything that we're doing. Um, what else do we need to know? I respect those folks and I remember them so much more so um, than, than the leaders who have to, on the outside, have it all figured out. And now those, those are often the leaders that are quite disconnected because they're not saying, well, um, uh, so showing a certain amount of vulnerability is so core, but I think what a lot of, you know, kind of the autocratic traditional leaders and they, the way they had gone through their training was the perception that I have to have the answers. Mm -hmm. And what we're recognizing now with everything uh, out there on authentic leadership and leading from the heart is in fact that vulnerability does not mean that you cannot still lead. Mm -hmm. It in fact is a vein in to say, I want the answers but you see from a different perspective, why don't we kind of look at it from everybody's angles and we might be able to figure it out, but I don't have the answers right now. That, that creates a space of connection that allows you to be able to say that she or she is so relatable. Wow. I'm impressed that they could be so open with me. Yeah. And that creates that, that I, I call it an emotional muscle. Mm -hmm. for people to say, wow, this is impressive. If that person could do that as my CEO or my senior VP or EVP, I can do that within my role, mm -hmm. within my team, because mm -hmm. I now see it being modeled right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of try to think, what could I be better at? What mm -hmm. do I struggle with? And I can fall down. I can get back up. I can dust off my knees. And then I can say, I'm going to try something different. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And when we share some of the most interesting trends that I've, I've been seeing is those, some of those very seasoned senior folks talking about their own struggles during this time and talking about other times in their career where they went through a really difficult situation and they didn't ask for help mm -hmm. and how they're encouraging people to reach out and ask for help right now. We can lead the way. We may not have all the, we may not be able to fix what's going on right now. It may be very challenging. You may be dealing with a lot of backlash that people may not know about related to layoffs and redeployments and, and you know, restructurings. I'm seeing a lot of that happening in organizations right now. You know, unfortunately, that's part of, of going through this global and frankly, also financial crisis for a lot of organizations and industries. 
um, we also need, we can't be going through that level of emotional, um, for some people it's pain, for some people it's, it's identity angst, ego uh, recalibration without vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine, and this is, you know, to your point that you were sharing earlier about the work Sarah and the personal Sarah, it's the same thing with the, the um, uh, connected the connected Roxanne, the, the professional decision-maker Roxanne, it's, it's not one or the other. It's Mm -hmm. that people need to believe that human beings are leading their organizations. It's, it's not just, you know, we're not, we're not robots um, making this, these binary decisions. Mm -hmm. People can't see what's happening in the boardroom at the senior leadership table. They don't see the, the wrestling with tough moral dilemmas and, and decisions that people are bringing home. And, and well, I mean, if you're already at home, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're carrying it around with you and often is keeping people up at night. My, one of my business um, coaches, uh, her name is Kim Shepard. She's an amazing leader who built a company from the ground up and she recently sold it. It's a recruitment company out of the U S And she's writing a book right now and interviewing chief human resources officers across North America from Microsoft to HubSpot and beyond. And she said, it's amazing. The number one theme that's showing up as the thing that keeps people up at night, these chief human resources officers, is is people's mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm. Number one. So how could we know that and not share with people you know, I get this. And by the way, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing mm-hmm. it in my family or I'm seeing it in my friends or I'm, you know, I've gone through a journey like this before, or, um, you know, if you, if you need, it's not just like, here's the AP, you mm-hmm. know, if you need help, here's the AP, yeah, this kind yeah. of very like procedural tactical sort of approach. It's more like I have had 10 conversations in the last week with people who are really struggling. Mm-hmm. If that's mm-hmm. you, and we even had a, haven't, haven't had a talk, please don't think it's only you. Like right. that, even if it's that layer, I mean, that's not even super vulnerable. She or he has not shared, bared his or her soul. But imagine if you then also said, you know, my son went off to university and, and it's been really tough. I was, mm-hmm. we were so looking forward to his first year and man, is it hard going to university for the first time? And having half your residence empty and being worried that you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's been tough for him. I've been reflecting on how tough it's probably been for all of you. And so, you know, like lead with a story, a real human story that matters mm-hmm. to you. Get permission, obviously, to, before you share a story about an employee or a leader or your own family or yourself, like get permission from the people who would have invested interest in you sharing or not sharing that mm-hmm. story. Um, you know, definitely share in, in real humanity right now and acknowledge that, that you're doing the best you can. And this is where your greatness has shown up or the greatness you're seeing in other people, despite the struggle. And, and hopefully we keep that going well after this. Now is the perfect time to practice. Everything is new. Yes. So if you want to be more authentic, now is your perfect opportunity to be practicing, right? That muscle that you're talking about, Roxanne. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Sarah, this is, has been a fantastic conversation as, as usual. If there's one thing you could say to people that they could do or implement, let's say in the next week, uh, 
to see people and and recognize them? What might be one small thing? I and mean, then you've shared a lot, but just to end on that note, what is one thing that people could do to start uh, showing that recognition? Yeah, um, I would check in with people. Um, I have a recognition checklist that I encourage people to use. If you don't already know how people want to be appreciated, follow the platinum rule, recognize people the way they want to be recognized. So you can use the tool like the recognition checklist um, and, uh, and ask people, how do you want to be appreciated? So that when you acknowledge them, you do it in a way that they can digest it. Uh, Because otherwise we usually follow to the gold rule you know, where you treat people the way you want to be treated. So you recognize people the way we want to be recognized. So if you have normally do public acknowledgements and somebody's so embarrassed about that, then don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that it's specific because people are vulnerable. And so don't let your recognition, your, your desire to do well override how people will receive it well. So that would be a next step. Um, matching, matching those two things up, your intention with your, action. Absolutely. That makes so much sense, right? Because sometimes we kind of get caught off and we think, oh, I like to be recognized in this way. Mm -hmm. And and then you see people just shrink when you do it the way that would work for you. And then again, um, not for them. So Sarah, you've, um, I want you to mention Rockstar because I think it's an important uh, time for people to know (laughs) that that about that book and uh, where uh, they can get a hold of you. Obviously everything will be in the show notes, but if there's um, just a couple words about Rockstar Mm -hmm. and then we'll let you along your way. Yeah. So Rockstar is the book that I wrote during COVID at the very start of it. I've come from healthcare. So my, I have huge love and my heart's been going out to my healthcare uh, community and industry um, I work with many different industries now, but sort of a first love. You, you always remember your first love. And Rockstar is really, it's a book for them and all other essential services professionals. Um, Rockstar stands for Recognize, Organize, Communicate, and Kindness, which gives you star results, satisfaction, teamwork, a sense of achievement, and retention. So it's all about how do you manage your way through challenging times by always being able to magnify people's greatness by treating them like the rock stars that they are. Awesome. Well, um, yet again, what an amazing conversation. And what am I taking away? I'm taking away that uh, we get need to get back, you know, like to Sarah's point, uh, this should not stop when we're outside of this time mm-hmm. but we need to we are we are giving uh, unfortunately this opportunity or fortunately through adversity to learn things about what it takes to really connect and i'm going to say the word heart to heart based mm-hmm. on what i talk about and once we you know can kind of connect to ourselves um be as, as moms or, or dads or community members or friends or leaders, then we, we really kind of have the answers within there. And we learn each time as we, we try something new, we know whether it works or not. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for tuning in. And I'm Roxandra Hodge. If you're wanting a consultation of what it takes to be more authentic as a leader, uh, please connect with me at roxanderhodge.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.